Welcome back to Monday Madness Sports Talk, hosted by your very own Noah Festenstein. And this is the 229th edition here on April 4th, 2022, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. And I've got a good one planned for you today. As a very fun weekend of sports. And what was a very fun night of March Madness basketball tonight. Hence why I'm doing a night nice show. So let's do it. Recording in the beautiful home studios in Action Heights. Primarily known as Arlington Heights, Illinois. So what is on the menu for Monday Madness Sports Talk tonight? Well, thank you for asking, fine listener. Tonight, our main dish is March Madness Finals Basketball, where Kansas University beats University of North Carolina by a score of 72-69. to You know what that means. Rock, chalk, Jayhawk, chalk it up. And with a side dish tonight... We've got ourselves some MLB playoffs. Talking Cubs, talking White Sox. And then if you'd like another side dish, you get a choice of soccer or UFC. You could choose either one or even both, maybe with an upcharge. And then finally, maybe in the middle, we've got ourselves some NBA Chicago Bulls playoffs. And that rounds up the meal for you guys tonight. Thank you so much. I will be here all night, folks. All night and every other Monday night. Please don't forget to go to the open bar. Drinks on me tonight. Just kidding. Just kidding. Everybody, calm down. Stop clapping. Stop clapping. Thank you. Seriously, though, we got a good show tonight. For the 229th edition of Money Man Sports Talk. Yes, March Madness. Really good game tonight for the championship game. I'll be getting into the nitty-gritty and some wise words in the first segment. Second segment, MLB baseball. Talking Cubs, talking White Sox, talking everything you need to know. Come spring training on Thursday. Next up, I'm probably going to end up doing basketball in the third segment. Talk some uh, Bulls. What are they going to do expecting in the playoffs? How do you think they're going to fare? Also, uh, my pick for who's going to make it to the playoffs. Seems like the playoff picture is already kind of set. Um, besides maybe a couple playing spots still open. Uh, and then to finalize the show, you got a choice, like I said, of soccer and UFC MMA, talking World Cup, talking Chicago Fire, and then I talk about this upcoming weekend's UFC 273, Volkanovski versus the Korean Zombie. Great, great night of sports here on the 229th edition of Monday Man Sports Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you on the other side of the break with some March Madness basketball. Let's get it. Look. 
Welcome back to The Madness here on April 4th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. And bringing me here to the first segment of the night here is 7715 with Week, the Justin Caruso remix. So I just finished watching one of the best college basketball games, I would say, of the year. I would say maybe of the last two years. Well, that's what the championship game is all about. And I waited specifically to the end of this game just so I can give you the, this post-game reaction. Uh, it's more of a post-tournament reaction because I think this game kind of summed it up as to what I was saying prior to the tournament starting a few weeks back was... This tournament is setting up to be another storytelling, hardworking, very, very entertaining tournament. And it has most certainly lived up to those standards, and I think me even more than that. And as I just mentioned, tonight's game just summed that up between Kansas and North Carolina, two of my more favorited college basketball teams I've ever watched and um I don't know if there was gonna be some sort of encore or anything better than what we saw on Friday night between Duke and North Carolina another amazing college basketball game honestly you can make the case that these two are just good for their own reasons tonight Kansas coming back from 17 down 16 exactly, I mean, practically 7. It felt like it was 20 at the half. 16 points down. That is one more point greater than, what was it? I think um, I have to fact check this, but the greatest comeback in finals history is now belonging to the Kansas Jayhawks. And I would have never thought I would have had said that prior to the game, especially after Kansas' start. They went off on a 7-0 run. They let go a little bit, were up by a little, and UNC was able to stay into the game until it became 22-22. That's when things kind of fell off the rails for Kansas. And 16 unanswered points later by the North Carolina Tar Heels, I was thinking that, you know what? Time to throw in the towel. I've been rooting for Kansas in the March Madness tournament for as long as I have made brackets. And each time, and I, trust me, did not make a bracket in 2008 the last time Kansas won. I didn't know how to do it. Or I was scared of how to do it with my naive 10-year-old self. But when I started making brackets, I was like, Kansas is going to win. They're a t- top dog. Bill Self is an amazing coach, and he is. He just sometimes doesn't perform up to the right at the right moments. But sometimes it's unlucky, and sometimes you run into the unlucky factor in this tournament, which definitely bodes a lot of it. But um, I think it is the definition of ball don't lie. When you think of the overall, I would say, outcome of what we just saw in this tournament. I felt like Kansas played super well in timely fashion. You know, a lot of these teams that don't make it far in the tournament can't play to the last second. 
And most teams in the tournament, if they're down 16 and then 15 at the half, it's not looking good, especially against the North Carolina Tar Heels, who are 21-0 leading at half this season. And those were amongst the biggest halftime leads that North Carolina had this season. And then they let it go to Kansas. Now, Kansas had, I think they were down to Providence in the first half. Or they were up against Providence. Almost started losing to Providence in the second half. So that was like the only consistent game that I can remember because I was there. And then against Miami, Kansas was down six at the half. And then boom, easy. Six doesn't matter. Fifteen doesn't matter. Kansas is the team that has all season been doing this. And this is a big reason why I picked them going through the tournament. This was my winning team this year. And I am proud to say that I am finally right for a championship team. And recently, I've been very proud of myself to kind of stay a little bit disciplined about it. But like I said, I've been for like the first five out of three out of the first five years, I picked Kansas going to the final four. And two of those years, I had them being champion for my first five years of making a bracket. None of that happened. And since then, I've, I haven't been choosing Kansas. I haven't even been bringing them back to the past the round of 32. But it was just something about this season that struck a chord in me in saying that this team is built to win a championship. And you kind of, especially since I've been around college basketball the most amount of times in my life in the past three years, I can recognize those patterns. I feel like I have recognized patterns in college basketball that it's hard to recognize when just sitting in front of a TV. You know, especially, for instance, when I went to the Kansas games over last weekend in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. I recognized certain patterns in the crowd and certain environmental kinks that you can't notice on TV that affect the style of play. And then compare it to, let's say regular college basketball game when I was covering the DePaul Blue Demons I remember I covered this one game against Central Michigan um and I was the color analyst for for that game I think Mecco Lewis shout out to my friend Mecco uh he was doing analyst or play-by-play and I was the analyst and I remember saying because DePaul was down at like the half by 16 same situation as Kansas was today and then boom all of a sudden, DePaul comes back. And then I remember one of my f- funniest, quirkiest, clichéiest lines I could ever say in front of a microphone. I said, this cannot feel any more like a March Madness game. That's the environment I feel in here. And to be able to recognize that and see that, because DePaul isn't, wasn't that great up until that point until they started that season 13-1. and one. And if you remember cover, if you remember me covering that here on Monday Mad Sports Talk back in the day. And I remember just the feeling of like accomplishment, especially emanating off of the players, off of these young student athletes that work their tail off to not just perform on the court, but off the court, socially, educationally, everything from 
what you have to boggle in in life and to control your interests and trust yourself that, yes, maybe you could make it to the NBA one day. Those little thoughts get to you because you don't know what those future questions hold. And that's the beauty of college basketball. That's something that I've always appreciated about college basketball is that the youth aspect and, you know, I always appreciate it, especially growing up, is the styles of learning and how you exponentially learn something along the way and whether that's learning how to ride a bike, whether that's learning, of course, how to do a math problem or going to your first job interview or whatever. Everything is accumulative. Everything has a pattern and even that a purpose. So when you're in college and you become busy with your schoolwork, your athletics, whatever you're involved in, and you know happiness drives you and motivation drives you, it's great to recognize that as a young athlete, as a young human being that's learning how to lose, that's learning how to win, is becoming a much better human being in the process. And that's why I love human beings like Mike Krzyzewski, coach of now former coach, of course, for the Duke Blue Devils, is if you listen to his postgame press conferences, he always makes it about the players and not himself. I think a great example of that was yesterday or a couple nights ago, of course, when Duke lost Mike Krzyzewski was getting answered. Of course, naturally, he was getting asked, what's it like, you know, being your last game? What's going through your mind? And the first thing he says, especially in his opening statement, is he doesn't want to answer questions about himself. This is about the players. This is, you know, and he made this awesome quote that I really, really appreciate. This this man just never stops winning. Um, He makes a quote. He says, yeah, You can feel sadness, you can feel happiness or joyous through the art, through winning or losing, but no matter what, because you feel that way, it's because you put your all into it. And yes, maybe your all wasn't enough, but you were motivated. You've built yourself up to this point and you've learned how to treat this moment. Whether it's a good moment or a bad moment, it doesn't matter. And those moments in life is what I feel like life's about, right? You know, I always talk about love. And when you love something and you play basketball and you do whatever. I know I'm going maybe on a little rant here. I'll get back to the UNC Kansas game in a sec. But I feel like this is important. Um, is that, you know, you're, you're, you're going through life and you're feeling all these emotions. And especially if it's about sports or especially it's about a team that you love or an individual that you Love, if it's an MMA or individual sports, right? Like, you carry that love on to, to it. And, you know, if you're a UNC fan tonight, um, my heart goes out to you. I love UNC. I, I love what the program did this year. And the coaching was amazing through the playoffs and the head coach's first year at the helm. And he lost games. I think he lost to Tennessee by 20. Um, Wake Forest, I think, beat him by like 15 or something. And then Miami beat him by like 30. 
So recovering from all of that, UNC has overcome so many emotions to get up to this championship game and then lose it in the final seconds. So my heart goes out to you guys because, um, you know, you feel that emotion and it, it, it hurts. But over time, it deteriorates, of course, but you kind of learn about yourself and learn about what you love and you feel this way about why uh about you know unc losing or kansas winning you feel this certain way about them is because you love it why did you spend the last two and a half hours watching a two five two teams of five people dribbling a basketball down the court and putting it in a hoop it's because you love it the energy the entertainment value, everything involved is there. And also the, you know, sentimental factor of playing in such a high stakes competition. It's the love we've built so much for this. And this is why I love college basketball is it, 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 it shows off the youth in life. And it's tough seeing, you know, these, these college athletes having to, go through a lot of pain and stress through whatever they're going on in college and to obviously suffer a loss or suffer a win. And, you know, March Madness, it's 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 the Hunger Games out there. <laughs> what else can I say? Instead of 24 Hunger Game athletes, you're getting 68. So it, it's, a, it's a bloodbath. So I think, come to think of it, if you think about the March Madness tournament, I feel like it's more trying to teach athletes how to lose rather than to win. If you kind of catch my drift. Again, another tangent, but I feel like there's some sort of balance towards losing and winning, and it falls more to the teeter of losing because I feel like people remember what they lose in rather than what they win in sometimes because then they think, oh, wow, I could have actually won this. Right, and if you go so far in the tournament, and then you're like, "Yeah, we could have won this. We could have done this thing or that thing or whatever." But you know, I feel like the tournament, and even that, any level of competition, teaches you how to lose in life so that you can come back and try to build yourself up and learn about yourself in the process so um if you're a college athlete or you're an athlete and you're kind of struggling with you know how to treat certain situations especially everything going on in your life like definitely take it in as a life lesson because it's going to happen a lot and I've been through it personally a lot too in many different facets of my own life and having to you know the past couple years fight through uh, losses and job opportunities and friendships and um, you know having to overcome my own personal failures it's tough but I feel like I wouldn't have had treated it as well as I have if I hadn't done certain things as a student, as a student athlete, especially my time in college radio, especially my time as a wrestler in high school. Like, 
I've been treated discipline. And these college athletes are doing that through winning, through losing, and through being the best athlete and human being that they can possibly be and a teammate. And the biggest theme that I've heard in this tournament this year, especially by Duke, um, is the camaraderie between teammates and family and having to treat each other like family because it's that important. It's it's important to console with one another after a loss or um, you know celebrate with one another after a win. Uh and to be able to encounter different emotions with one another, it shows off and it shares. I mean, it's all shared between each other. And you share those moments with each other, and that's what makes each other close. And moments like we have in March Madness are so special, so memorable. And every the whole almost like the whole country is watching and part of the world is watching. If I don't know, people in Europe like watching college basketball. Um but I freaking love college basketball. It is so much fun. I love it so much better than the NBA because, you know, sometimes, and I'll talk NBA later in this podcast, but uh, sometimes to me the NBA gets a little bit too dramatic, especially nowadays. I just like the NBA like what it was in the 70s and 80s, and obviously I wasn't living in that time, but based on what I've studied and what I've seen in tape, like this was the basketball that, I'm sure everybody loved and now seeing to hate and all the soft referee calls that we see nowadays. But I try to kind of push that aside and look at the natural game itself. And in college basketball, I feel like the style of play matches that vintage feel, you know? And I've and that's because it's these college athletes learning how to play. And now you got all these professional athletes whining on social media or whatever and doing and getting paid millions of dollars to play a, a kid's game. And yes, it's nice to see that maybe college athletes can get compensated one day to match that level and to also match the learning aspect of, yeah, you're earning money for what you do. That's why we got scholarships. That's why we got, right now, opportunities and special benefits for college athletes because they do so much in so little time. And then you got professional athletes making millions of dollars just playing a kid's game and having three to four months off so I don't know nothing's a kid's game nowadays is it that's my college freaking rant right there I don't know where I was going I guess I would just like zoom through the loophole here let's get to <laughs> let's get back to college basketball as we dive into the second half where Oh, Kansas was just I don't know what Bill Self did in the locker room. I know he was asked about it post game. But uh he's like, you know, you know what? I didn't say much to the guys. I can't do my that's not even close to like a Kansas ish whatever. I don't know. Bill Self sounds very southernist, so I gotta match that. He sounds like a that's it! This is Bill Self. There we go. All right. This is what I said to the boys at half. Uh, we just got to play harder. We got we to gotta match the boards. All right. Got a little old there quick. But you get the point. He didn't say much at the half. He trusted the guys. And he got it done. He, we got it done. Now I'm not going to stop doing that the rest of the show. Jeez Louise. Anyways. Um... 
That's just over. And then over at halftime, I was playing. I went to the basement to draw my stars because I really wanted Kansas to win. I, I, I'm just done with them choking. So at halftime, this is what I was doing. I went downstairs. This is how I distress normally. I've, either I watch sports, watch whatever fun show on Hulu, Netflix, or whatever. Or I go downstairs, play Xbox, maybe play some Call of Duty. But most of recently, I've been playing a lot of Planet Coaster. So over the 15-minute halftime, uh, I was just playing Planet Coaster, just trying to distress myself. So uh, I think that was the whole theme for everybody involved with Kansas, if you're rooting for them. Just distress. Zen. This isn't the end of the game. We got 20 minutes left. And then right away... Boom, alley-oop into the second half. I knew that the energy was there for Kansas immediately. And I said this, of course, at the beginning again. They looked good when they were up 7 nothing, but this was different. I felt the energy was there. Like, usually when you see a team that goes down 15 at the half, they're depleted. They don't know what to do coming out of the second half, but immediately Kansas was just attacking the rim. They were getting in the right spots at the right time, and they were making shots. That's what down the stretch made the difference. Remy Martin. Made the difference down the stretch with his his big long range shooting, and he wasn't doing that too much during the tournament, but he did it enough. Remy Martin is the MVP to me. I know um, who was it? Abuja. He was the MVP. I don't know why Remy Martin wasn't. I I I thought he was the MVP, especially of that game, the most important game of the year, of course. Um. But down the stretch, I knew they were coming back. I wasn't really worried. And they came back within 10 minutes. That's how much college basketball, that's just how much any game can change. You just got to believe. You got to watch the game. And I know I had a couple friends text me. They were like, yeah, this game's over. Kansas chokes always. And I'm like, I didn't even respond. I was just like waiting for it to happen because I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. But I was patient. Kansas was patient, and they got the job done in a very, very timely manner, putting themselves in a position to gain momentum, and they just flew from there. It was a bloodbath, I think, off the offensive boards. Kansas beat them. What was it? Uh, They beat them by 18 in the second half. They were losing by 15 in the first half. They beat them by 18 in the second. They flipped the game around, and that's what made the difference. Now, on the other hand, with UNC, I got to give it out to Baycott. Um, I cannot believe what happened in the last 38 seconds when he blew his ankle. Uh, I knew that it was going to be a problem going into this game, but uh, just, just hat. First of all, I got to give off my hats off, tip of the cap. These are these kids. I think throughout the entire tournament, I know this is cliche, but the, these kids who play their heart out who come in each and every day wanting these moments, deserving these moments, these kids are the true champions. Told you it was going to be cliche. But um, point of the matter is, UNC, Puff Johnson, he had like 11.7 rebounds, came in also and drew a charge in one of the biggest moments of the game. But unfortunately, that charge, he got elbowed in the stomach, and he's normally a bench player, and he runs down the court probably five to seven times in that span and then ends up vomiting on the court itself and then the play stopped and I was concerned I was like 
make it I, I don't want to see anybody hurt or injured on the floor and this is why I want to see a nice natural basketball game who has the best resources and the best coaching to win this game and the best moments and the best timely shots and of course that was Kansas down the stretch and uh I just feel bad for UNC because they did blow a lead they really did and there's really no other nice way to put it but you know they had their chance but they got caught up with a very good second half team in Kansas they're the best scoring second half team they're the best in terms of transition offense it's the only big X factor that I thought was going to be the difference in this game was missed free throw shooting. Abaji missed like three free throws, I think. And the whole team went for like, what, six for 11 on the free throw line, if I'm correct? I know they missed like almost half of them. And that's going to make the difference in the game. And thankfully, it didn't at the end. But let's rewind. Let's... Let's go to a different dimension here. Let's like go to the dimension where Love does make that last second three-pointer. And we are going to overtime. In my eyes, with what was going on at the UNC exhaustion levels and the world ankles, the throwing up on the court, it just didn't seem like it was in UNC's favor. So I just, I feel like overall Kansas played the better game. Um, I just think that there was a phase in the first half and then the final like 12 minutes of the first half where they just were cold. And I think this whole game was kind of also a representation of what Kansas was kind of like in the first couple games. Like they should have beat Creighton by more, definitely. And they should have beaten Providence by more and even Miami. So there was phases in all those games where Kansas just wasn't scoring. Which is why I was scared if Duke made it past UNC that that would have been a problem against Duke. And if it was a problem against Krzyzewski, he would have taken advantage of it. If Duke had that lead, they would have won. Just saying. They would have won if Duke, if Duke had that... 15-point lead. I'm sure Duke would have won that game. It's just because of the coaching. you got to coach through those situations. And I think UNC should be blessed to have that situation. Um, what a season they had. I, I, I didn't. Nobody expected them to be in this position. So UNC really, 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 really exceeded expectations and made it a fun, very, very fun championship game. And I wouldn't have had minded if Kansas blew him out in the first half. But I'm very happy UNC made me doubt, made me go into the basement to play Panic Coaster, and uh, made me, gave me an excuse to distress myself because I saw a very good second half. Um, it wasn't a back-and-forth game like you saw in a lot of other games, but it was just one of those close games where um, it, it had that different feeling, you know. Would you rather see a nice back-and-forth game like we saw on Saturday night, or would you like to see a nice comeback game like we saw with Kansas today? What would be the better game? I don't know. Both games were amazing. What a tournament it was this year in 2022. My best performance filling out a bracket, even though it was amongst the worst performances um, with everybody else. But um, 
If only I had Duke making it to the Final Four, I would have won the whole thing. But I did win money. And I'm very happy. I'm not going to disclose the amount. It was more than one cent. I promise you that. Uh, I did win three cents. Just kidding. It was a little more than that. Uh, anyways, it's nice to have a great tournament. And I'll be talking about these kinds of things for a while and reflecting on the tournament. Um, it's just hard to think of so many positive moments. I, this year, for me personally, being able to watch it on my uh, my my new laptop and uh, having accessibility to the tournament, I was able to watch basically 90% of the games and all of the good games I was able to watch. So there was really never a dull moment for me in this tournament. And for the past three episodes in March and Monday Madness Sports Talk, March Madness has been the first topic of discussion. So it's always a very important tournament when it comes that time of year for me. And for me, for it to finally go my way this year in terms of my picks, in some way, shape, or form, makes me feel happy. My first ever time predicting the right champion, and I picked Kansas at the right time. It's kind of like, you know what? Now I don't have to worry about Kansas anymore, and I feel a bit more free filling out my brackets, even though I do believe Kansas is going to be good next year. And I also believe that um, South Carolina Gamecocks women's basketball is going to be a dynasty for years to come. So congratulations to the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um, Some history there. I think, um, you know, they're going to start a very solid dynasty. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, But, uh, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about March Madness, but... uh, to those who watch games with me, um, and for me to be able to, uh, for those who I've met at the tournament, for those who um, have followed my tournament coverage, at least somewhat, some parts of it, uh, thank you so much for kind of sticking with me with it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, being able to be at two games at the United Center, um, watch some old DePaul basketball players play, and watch Kansas Jayhawks get the wins. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. So uh, I'll always be grateful for March Madness, NCAA basketball. Um, rock Chalk Jayhawk to end the segment. And we'll see you next segment because next up we've got way, way long, long time, long, long time to go here on the 229th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. A very, very good show so far. Next up, baseball talk. I want to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what I of what teams I think are going to be the most uh, notable this season. Talk Cubs, talk White Sox coming up next here on the 229th edition of Mighty Mass Sports Talk. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Madness here on April 4th, 2022, bringing you all the madness from Chicago sports and beyond. We have reached the baseball segment for today's show, and it will be the last before opening day on Thursday. Let's get hyped for it. And we're going to do so. That was Matt Styler. Feel it. 
bringing me here to the baseball segment today. So let's get it going for the 2022 MLB season. And it's going to be one heck of a season. I, I mean, I think when you look at it from a, a collective baseball fan, kind of like how I am, um, you, I, I think it's easier to appreciate the skill level that we see here in this 2022 season. Because there are some teams that I believe are in the mix, you know, that could be World Series winning teams five years ago. Yet, of course, they're fighting for a divisional spot. You got so many teams that are stacked in their lineups. There's so many good lineups left and right. And I honestly don't know where to begin talking about these lineups because I just feel like the skill level of this generation when we talk about baseball is just astronomically high. And I feel like that's part of the reason why there was a lockout this season. Think about it. Because players have so many needs when they have so much talent. They feel like the game should be faster. They feel like the rules can be changed. They feel like they should be paid an X amount of money because... They have an X amount of talent. And the talent level that we see nowadays is just so high that I think the the universal needs by the players are now just different. So I think it goes to show that baseball isn't dying like we thought it was over the offseason. It's thriving in a way. Because now when people realize that baseball is back, you're going to see more seats filling up over and over again. I just saw um, Los Angeles Angels, who is one of those teams that I think can compete this year. I saw the Anaheim Stadium. Like, what? 25,000 fans filled the seats for a spring training game? I feel like that goes to show how much people miss baseball because the LA Angels don't even draw that big of a crowd. And they're drawing in, like, three quarters worth of the whole stadium for a spring training game. Uh, I, I think that that is quite remarkable when you think about what went down this past season. Did we think two months ago that we we're going to see baseball in three days? Not a lot of people thought that. I didn't think that. It was it got so bad during the lockout to the point where I thought there wasn't even going to be a season this year. So let's just all be super grateful and smile that we've got baseball this season. And I feel like I've been hyping it up the right way the past few weeks since the lockout has ended. Uh, I think free agency and trades have met the criteria of how intense it should be when you only got a, a three-week window in order to before the season starts in order to fill up lineups. Uh, and I have never heard so much talk about who's going to be in respective teams 25 man rosters because there's just so much talent to be passed around uh and i think that that's quite awesome uh and it leads me to believe when we talk about chicago sports here uh and i think about the chicago cubs is yes they look like a talented team don't get me wrong but i feel like the talent level around them especially in the central division is just on a different level and uh i think this season for the cubs 
is going to be a season to define whether or not this is a retooling team or a team that needs to be rebuilt. And who are you going to rebuild that around? Are you going to rebuild that around now Seiya Suzuki, who's going to be on the team for five years? Are you going to re-sign Jason Hayward as a leader? Is he going to be a guy to rebuild around? Uh, I hope it's Wilson Contreras. He's the only guy I think that if you're thinking about holding on to the past, that was a key factor of the 2016 World Series. Jason Hayward is, of course, another key factor. Uh, I just don't want to see Cubs fans blame this season on, if it's a bad season, of course, on Jed Hoyer and the front office getting rid of everybody that was good. Right, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and maybe a couple other players that maybe shouldn't have had been released, but uh, it was supposed to happen, right? You know, you got to get these guys out of here if their contract's expiring. So I think you got to look towards the future, and now this season is going to be that defining factor for this Cubs team, whether or not they could be good. I'm not raising or lowering the expectations for this Cubs team. They're just level. Now, on the other hand, on the other side of Chicago, you got the White Sox, who whose expectations are on a much different level at this point. You know, it's this White Sox team kind of reminds me of the 20, 2016 Chicago Cubs in a way. They the the year before they made the playoffs didn't do much, uh, didn't really go that far. But then the next year is a World Series contending year because now this team has playoff experience and now they're ready. And last week I was talking about the White Sox. And how if they plan to contend, they need to have a high level of competition. Which is why I like the AL Central getting stronger this year. And that's important for the White Sox to be able to experience high-level teams so that they're ready for a high-level competition in the playoffs. Because I do expect the White Sox to be in the playoffs. I expect this team to win the AL Central. But again... My expectations are level for basically every team in the MLB because of the insurmountable amount of talent that is around. Um, and I think from a collective basis, when you work, you know, I, I, you have to have a healthy amount of guys that can hit the long ball, that can get on base, that can make highlight real defensive plays and consistent defensive efficiency. You got to have that all around. And sometimes it could be deceiving when you look at a lineup that is just stacked full of talent and they just don't do much because they don't work together as a team or you don't have that healthy, diverse lineup that can do a variety of different things because baseball is the one sport that you can score runs, score points in a variety amount of different ways. Whether that's hitting a home run, whether that's getting on base, whether that's forcing an error. Something. Playing small ball. I think small ball is uh, bigger than playing long ball, right? Getting guys on base, moving the order around, that's what's going to get you runs. And I feel like, in a way, the Cubs are emulating a sort of diverse group of talent. You've got guys who, like Nick Madrigal and Nico Horner, who don't strike out as much, have the ability to get on base, and then the next guy coming up can smack one into the gap with Patrick Wisdom or Seiya Suzuki. Heck, even Frank Schwindel can do that, right? 
So you got these guys from a collective standpoint who can do different things. And then when put together on a team can make it last, can make it consistent. Because I said this last week, this team that we see in the Chicago Cubs went on an 11-game win streak last year. They're capable. The Cubs are now bolstered a little bit with their starting pitchers. Heck, I'd even make the argument right now that the Cubs starting pitching is better than the White Sox starting pitching. Probably is that true, but I can make an argument for it as a hot take because... The Cubs do have still Kyle Hendricks. Might not be as good as what he used to be. They, they they now have Wade Miley, who if he's healthy, he can really do some really good work. And then Marcus Stroman, who is a consistent, reliable starting pitcher. And then other guys who can be in the mix, right? Younger guys that can just come out of the blue and, and pitch really good innings. And the Cubs bullpen ain't even that bad either. Now, on the other hand, when I talk about the White Sox starting pitching, they may look better, but the expectation level is so high for this team that when they don't do good, they're not good. They're not good at all because the expectations are just so high for that. They don't have the resources in that starting rotation to consistently give their team a chance to win. And that's something we saw in the 2016 Chicago Cubs. And I, I like to compare... Chicago teams now to that because every I don't remember really many games in that 2016 season where the Cubs were never really in a position that they couldn't win the ball game and they won 103 of those right 115 games total including the playoffs so uh kind of think of that sit on that see how this season plays out I think you know when we talk about you know, I think the big theme so far in this discussion is is this is going to be a very unpredictable season. I'm not going to be able to predict who's going to win each division because each team is going to have a different set of challenges, different sets of successes, and just a different level of competition that they have to face throughout the season. And even in a different environment. We're going to have a full season. Everybody's in the stands. No, not as strict COVID regulations, of course. So maybe a little, little bit of a different ball game this season. And I'm looking to see who kind of thrives to it. So here's the teams that I've mustered up. And I'm going to do this by division uh, in terms of tiers. Now, I'm going to say whether this team is in tier one, tier two, or tier three. Tier three being the worst. Tier one, of course, being the best. I want to see... Which teams I think have the best capabilities to make it the playoffs? Teams that have a chance and what I think could make a push? Because we're talking about a 12-team playoff right now. This is not an 11-team playoff field. We're a 12-team playoff field. Six teams per league. So an extra team per league to make the playoffs. So let's kind of consider that as we now run through these teams. Let's start in the American League in what I think is the best division in the entire MLB is the AL East. So you got the Rays, Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, and Orioles. Now, the third tier team in that is going to be the Orioles, but every other team is either tier t- tier two or, or above. So I'm going to have to pick the Blue Jays, Rays, 
to be their, your tier one teams in the AL East. I think those are the two teams that are going to be competing the most in that division. Red Sox and Yankees, I'm giving them tier two. Because the Yankees, like I'm a great point that I'm, and I think they're actually literally the shining example of my point I just made five minutes ago is that a team can look so well on paper, but not work so well during the season. The Yankees have been kind of like that. And now in a, in a division that is extremely difficult, I don't see this Yankees team thriving. I see them maybe making a wild card spot, but not winning the division. So I, I'm giving the Yankees a tier two position. Uh, and I'm going to give the Red Sox that tier two position too. Just because, you know, I think the talent level all around in this American League East division is stacked. But you got to have the right diverse team to get through it. And I think the Blue Jays is going to win that division. I have a feeling the Blue Jays, obviously the Rays are going to be pushing hard. But I, I'm a really big fan of this Blue Jays team. Uh, let's look at the AL Central. Mostly uh, not many high-tier teams in this one. Uh, the only Tier 1 team I, I can really put on there is the White Sox. You know, they're they're just, you know, you look at last year, it's hard to think that they've gotten worse or better. I don't know. I just kind of have the same feeling as I did last year going into this year for the White Sox. Uh, good trade that they just had, um, trading Ke Craig Campbell. I pleaded that to happen, and they did need a right fielder, and they got that in A.J. Pollock from the Los Angeles Dodgers. But now the Dodgers look just that more da more dangerous with Craig Campbell as their closer. So uh, we'll get to that in just a moment here when I get to the National League. But Wet Sox are your only Tier 1 team in the AL Central. In the uh, Let's look at the Detroit Tigers. Kansas City Royals, I'd give them Tier 3. They're probably the worst teams in the Central Division amongst the worst teams in the league. Only the shining players, uh, you know, Badu for the uh, Tigers, Baez, is, of course. Royals, Salvador Perez, can't go wrong with him. I just feel bad that he's on a bad team because he deserves better, even though he's already won a World Series. Um... And then I'd give Tier 2, like a rough Tier 2 to the Twins and the Guardians. If anything, the Twins is the only other Tier 2 team in that division. I would give the Twins the edge over the Guardians. I'm going to think that the White Sox and Twins are going to be battling for the AL Central. But, of course, the White Sox should end up uh, winning that division. AL West. This is going to be an interesting one. I feel like this is going to be maybe not the most stacked, but the most interesting division in the entire MLB. Uh, when we talk about down-the-stretch moments. Down-the-stretch, I would say, if you win or lose, it makes the difference, so to speak, one by one game. Uh, I think the Athletics and Angels and maybe Astros, tier, I'd give, I'd give honestly, all these teams Tier 2. <laughs> tier 3 for the Rangers. I would say Tier 2 for the AL West. Um, if there's going to be a tier one, I hope it's going to be the Angels. I see this Angels team as a very strong, offensive-minded team. I just hope that they uh, find some strength in the pitching rotation and able to kind of find that consistent basis to where they can be ahead of the AL West because I'm rooting for this Angels team. Uh, you can never go wrong when you got two of the top 
players in the MLB in Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So, if with that said, I'd give the Angels a tier one position just based on that, just based on having Otani and Trout. Um, and based on their leadership, that could very well bode for a good season. Uh, Athletics and Astros will probably compete against them the most. I hope the Astros kind of fall off the map. Um, I, I just don't see them being the front runners in this AL West as much as they were in the past five years. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Let's go to the National League. Uh, in the East, we got the Mets, Braves, Marlins, Phillies, and Nationals. I'm giving tier three positions to the Marlins and Nationals. And then the Phillies, Braves, and Mets. I would give the Phillies and Mets tier two positions, and then the Braves a tier one. Uh, I think the Braves are the best team in this division. I think they're also the most underwhelming um, in terms of underwhelming is not the right word. I would say underappreciated. They're defending World Series champions, and yes, the hardest thing to do in sports is to repeat. So uh, the Braves are in that position, I think. You know, the only big thing that happened to them this offseason was losing Freddie Freeman, but then they got Matt Olson in return. So uh, if Olson does what he did last year, I don't think this Braves team is going to have a problem. And then you get Ronald Acuna back. You still got um, a lot of great positives to this Braves team uh, that nobody kind of uh, expected, per se. So let's look down to the Mets. Mets, they got great pitching. I don't know where that's going to take, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I do believe that the Mets are going to be good this season. They're going to probably give the Phillies and Braves uh, a run for their money if it comes to that. Phillies are a stacked team with Castellanos, Schwarber, Harper. Uh, I, I I would even argue for them to be a Tier 1 team, but I'm going to keep them at Tier 2 until they start performing well. Um, let's look at the NL West Padres, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Giants, and Dodgers. I'm giving the Giants and Dodgers tier one positions. Padres, I'd, I'd see them as a tier two team. And then the Diamondbacks and Rockies, I'd give them a tier three. It's going to be a tough season for those two in a very tough division. Um, and then looking at the NL Central, I'd give the Cardinals and Brewers, if anything, this is a tough one. Obviously, I'm going to give the Pirates Tier 3. They, I, I, I just don't see any improvements with their team. Uh, Cubs, I think they'll be a fourth-place team this year. But I don't really see them as a Tier 3 team. They haven't really proven otherwise that they're a bad team. I just think that there's so much bad rep that came from this past season after trading so many core players that the fans are like, yeah, this team's not good anymore. That's not true. Every player in the MLB is playing in the MLB because they are elite. Why can't this Cubs team be elite? I'm giving them tier two position. Uh, I'm going to say the Reds are up there with them in that, but they're going to be better. Brewers and Cardinals are going to be probably winning this division. One of those two teams are, well, both of those teams are probably going to end up making the playoffs. Uh, but the Cubs... I hope they're slept on more. Because if they start playing good, then people are going to realize, wow, maybe Jed Hoyer was right. 
And I hope he was. I hope he's doing his job to the point where, like, he's like, yeah. I agree. This was the right decision to bolster up our prospect list and bring in new, fresh players to continue a new era of Chicago Cubs baseball. And I'm happy with that. I enjoy a nice new era. So, yeah. A big thing that I talked to with one of my friends the other day uh, is a simple, simple observation that I've had for Chicago fans. Um, and I'll probably make more mention of this in the NBA segment because uh, I because I think Derrick Rose might come back. And my biggest takeaway from this, all of this, especially with the Cubs, is that Chicagoans, and don't take this the wrong way. This is this is my people here. This is my, you know, I'm I'm even talking about myself. So, I think Chicagoans' biggest weaknesses in sports is that they like to live in the past so much, like a disgusting amount, if I may say. And I think that's the product of teams in the city being not in a ways inconsistent, but in a ways like they are good and then they become inconsistent and they become not good. Kind of like the Bulls. You know, you expected the Bulls in the early parts of last decade with Derrick Rose and that whole team with Joakim Noah and everything. Like they, everybody thought that they were going to be good, right? And then Derrick Rose gets injured and all that goes down. And then everybody's like, oh, what if this? What if that? What if Derrick Rose didn't tear his ACL? Um, what if the Chicago Cubs um, actually played good with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javier Baez beyond the 2016 championship? What if they went over again? Would they have been traded? People always question that. Now, when I look at other teams, especially with other sports, they like to talk about the past, but they don't dwell in it. I just feel like the biggest weakness in Chicago sports is 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 dwelling on the past. Because you can't change it. You can't change anything about the past. Move on. Because it's not going to... The past isn't going to make... You know, rebuilding on the past isn't always going to make for a better future. And if it does, that's very rare. Because the best thing you can do is to repeat kind of that strategy that you had... By picking up so many great players, by having this method of winning a championship or making it far to the playoffs. So there's got to be that kind of fine line to say, hey, maybe it wasn't the players. Maybe it wasn't the team itself. But the strategy and the method taken to get to that point. And I, I just remember when Chris Bryant was drafted and then when the Cubs traded for Anthony Rizzo I told myself um because this was immediately after a couple years past uh the uh Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez era if you remember that you know it's it's, it's nice and nostalgic to think about it of course but uh you know I remember thinking to myself this may not be so bad in the next four years and I couldn't have been any more right and I wish I could have made that statement on a podcast at that point in my life but I so I remember telling myself, I was like, this Cubs team is going to be good in the next four years. We just got to be patient. And I was patient, and it paid off. 
So, to my fellow Chicagoans, be patient. Okay? Don't complain. It's not going to help anybody's case. Especially the Chicago Bears. I mean, we can complain about them all we want. Nothing's going to change about them. We could complain that Derrick Rose should have stayed with the Bulls or should have never torn his ACL. We can't control that. We could be sad about it. But that's all we can do. We can't go back and tell Jed Hoyer not to trade the core of the Cubs. But they did. So move on. It's time to move on. If you dwell on the past and you say, hey, we got to re-sign these guys, they left for a reason. So get over it. So I kind of wanted to make that point today. I don't, I, I mean, I knew I was going to make that point. I just didn't know what segment I was going to do it in. And I've really, like, am antsy to kind of say something that patterns that I don't like in Chicago sports. Because that's one of the patterns I see, especially with Chicago fans. And I am not afraid to admit it because I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of dwelling in the past. And I'm sure a lot of other sports fans are too. But the best thing to do to cope with what has happened is to prepare yourself for what's happening in the future. So, uh, yeah, I'm prepared to see maybe a bad cup season. But like I said at the beginning of this segment is if my team's not winning, at least I can really enjoy the vast, diverse amount of talent that is around this Major League Baseball. And it's going to be a fun season to watch if you just treat it right and you don't look down upon it. Because baseball right now, it's a funny story. And sometimes funny stories have the best punchline at the end. And it says, well, maybe you'll get them next time. And that's a cliche, ain't it? But the point I'm trying to make is that sport is always about adjusting. It's always about writing a new story. And those new stories is something that catches our attention because it's something we've not seen before, right? What 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 makes you click on a link that's that makes you think, "Oh, wow, this is a very interesting topic." It draws you in because it's new. It draws you in because it's something different. That's why I like being weird. <laughs> you know, it's different. It stands out. So, you know, try to be different sometimes. Maybe maybe it'll it'll uh it'll help you down the line. So uh yeah, those are all my uh thoughts on that and tears. I'll get more into that Derek Rose conversation next segment. And I'll probably start it off. So uh in that regard, uh I think that's really all I gotta say about baseball. I'm really excited for uh, opening day on Thursday. Cubs this week. Obviously, this is a Cubs-focused show as they are now, as I speak, winning in spring training against the White Sox. Um, Thursday, April 7th, Wrigley Field, 1.20 p.m. We've got ourselves some baseball. Cubs, Brewers, Kyle Hendricks on the mound. I'm going to guess Corbin Burns is the Brewers' opening day starter. So uh, get excited, folks, because it's here. Baseball is here. 
and it cannot be any more exciting. So uh, the Cubs have four against the Brewers and uh, two against the Pirates. I don't know how that's possible. Four against Colorado, and then they're back home against the Rays. So we've got some time to kind of think about and dwell upon what we can kind of expect. Uh, but I'm just so happy baseball's back. I am sure to be watching it come Thursday, watching this Cubs team. Uh, this 25-man roster is a little hazy, but um, it's kind of hard to predict. It's going to change throughout the season, so I'm not worried about this Cubs or even the White Sox 25-man roster because it's going to be interchangeable throughout the season. And uh, I like what... Um, what was it, Zach Granke, one of the weirdest guys in all of sports, and I love him for that because, like I said, weird is different, and it stands out. But uh, Granke said uh, he got asked a question. Uh, it was like, uh, how do you feel about being the opening day starter? What was your reaction to being the opening day starter? And he looked at, at the reporter, and he was like, straightest face ever. Didn't even look to muse at all. He's like, this is what my reaction was like straight face like it doesn't matter and he's right i honestly like i didn't think about it up until that point because we always are so excited for opening day and who's gonna start but like zach Greinke could not be any more correct it doesn't matter who's starting or who's on the roster opening day it doesn't matter yeah it's, you're gonna get some attention because it's opening day but you got 162 games man uh so Opening day football is more important because of the 16 games. You got 162 games, folks. Opening day doesn't mean squat. You can put your worst pitcher on the mound opening day, and I wouldn't even care. Maybe that could be a strategy in the future so that maybe the first game might not be yours, but as you move on, you're going to see teams that is going to – because most teams are going to be, of course, starting their best pitchers in the first few games, but then as those few games go on – you're not starting your best starting pitchers against the other team's worst starting pitchers. So how about you start off your offense fresh at the beginning of the season and give maybe maybe go like 5-4-3-2-1 down the lineup and then refresh it as the season goes on. I don't know, just a strategy for you. Something I've thought about. Probably wouldn't do it if I was an MLB manager because it's a little unorthodox. But the point of the matter is I think the main thing about pitching is that pitchers like to be opening day starters because it goes to show that they're the best pitcher on the staff but Zach Ranky doesn't care if he's the best pitcher on the staff he just wants to pitch so uh I, I just think that we tend to over exaggerate the starting lineups for opening day so uh and I've done that in the past I've over exaggerated it but I'm not gonna do that this year stop me being lazy it's me being real it's me being like all right who cares if you're not or are on the 25-man roster? People are going to get reps. Like for the Cubs, Brennan Davis is going to get reps. It doesn't matter if he's going to be in the 25-man roster to start of the season. He's going to get reps. So look, just look forward to that. And look forward to Thursday, opening day. Cannot wait. Coming up next here on the 229th edition of Monday Mad Sports Talk, we've got some basketball to discuss. Uh, more basketball. We started the show with March Madness. Now we're going into basketball. Uh, it is going back into NBA basketball. It's going to be Chicago Bulls only. Playoffs are right around the corner. It is safe to say the Bulls will be in the playoffs without having to go through the play-in tournament. But uh, how are they going to fare in the playoffs? That's the question. 
<coughs> Excuse me. Jeez Louise. That is the question. All right, we'll figure that answer out when we come back. See you in a bit. <laughs> Welcome back to the madness here on April 4th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. This is Halsey with Hurricane. The RT Remix. So let's begin. Talking some NBA basketball because we're heading down the stretch. Final three or four games for respective teams before the NBA playoffs start. So uh, kind of let's get a picture of what we're going to see here. Uh, we kind of discussed that last week, but uh, things have changed a little bit. Uh, all the teams prior to the Bulls in the standings uh, from the 76ers, Bucks, Celtics, and Heat have all clinched a spot in the playoffs. Bulls should be next, but they are tied with the Toronto Raptors at a 45-33 and 33 record. Now, uh, I don't think the record represents this Bulls team. They've had so many great moments this season. They went on streaks. They've done stuff that they haven't done in over a decade. It's, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, this Bulls season has been a blessing for Chicago. There, there hasn't really been many Chicago sports that have been notable in terms of success, in terms of winning. Other than the White Sox, when they ended their season right as the, uh, the Bulls season started, and now it has all come down to this. The Bulls are fifth seed in the East. They were once atop the East for a little bit, but now they're fifth place. You know, They just lost last night against the Heat, or a couple nights ago, per se, and the Heat swept them in the season series. So that's a concern going into the playoffs when you talk about the Bulls having to beat these teams four times to make it through. Uh, and it's a little concerning, and uh, I was so hyped up about them when they were so hot early in the season. Uh, but I, 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 at the same time, I'm not really that surprised how everything has kind of went down at this part of the season. The Bulls aren't good against good teams, and that's going to affect them in the playoffs. And... Uh, it affects my playoff predictions for this uh, for the NBA. I'll be making those playoff decisions and predictions when the time comes, probably next week or the week after. But uh, right now, uh, to be real with this Bulls team, it's not looking as strong as it was. And uh, that's okay. That's okay. I, I didn't really expect this Bulls season to be a championship season. But it's a stepping stone season. And the goal, I think, with this season was to have the Bulls look so attractive for free agents to come and want to be a part of this team. Like, who doesn't want to be a part of this team? And if I was Derrick Rose, which news came out, I believe, uh, recently, at least rumors recently, is that the Knicks are planning on releasing him at the end of the season now. We, I, I told, I said this last second. I'm gonna say it again. Stop dwelling on the past, because it's not going to help you. Derrick Rose is not as good as he once was, and it's sad to believe that. And it might be nice to have him come as a homecoming, 
But the Bulls should not be looking for sentimental figures. They need to be looking for players that look to win. And obviously, Derrick Rose is one of those players, and he wants to be on a contending team. But when you talk about contending teams, they might not be looking for a player like Rose. He's a bench player. At the end of the day, he's not going to be a starter every every day. Especially on a team who contends, unless he's able to prove otherwise. Um, so I wanted to make mention of that rumor, or um, it might not be as much of a rumor now since it's basically announced that I think the Knicks plan on releasing him, but, you know, there's got to be a reason why they're releasing him, right? Like, they wouldn't be releasing him for no reason if they, you know, didn't see potential in him, or at least maybe cared about him enough to say, hey, we want you to be on a team that's contending, because that's what you deserve. But uh, to see yourself like that as an organization is kind of depleting. And the New York Knicks is kind of one of those organizations that have consistently let their fans down in the past decade. Um, so I really don't expect them to kind of do anything less than that. Um, so right now the playoff picture in the East looks as such. Heat, Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, all are going to be in the top four. Bulls, Raptors, Cavaliers, Hawks uh, are in the top eight. And the Nets and Hornets are locks for the play-in tournament. Uh, and that's it. So we already know the top 10. We already know that the Bulls will be playing beyond 82 games this season. And we already know the other teams in the East that will be playing beyond 82 as well. It's going to be the Nets probably will be facing the Hornets. And the Hawks will probably end up facing the Cavaliers. Because the Cavaliers are three and a half. I'm sorry, two and a half games behind the Raptors and Bulls. Which makes the Bulls win against the Cavaliers uh, uh, a week or so ago just that much more important. Um, the Bulls and Raptors look like they're going to be the fifth and sixth te- seed team. It's whether or not they're going to be playing one of the top four seed teams. Most likely the Bucks or Celtics. It looks like the Heat are going to be running away with the top seed in the conference, which I am not surprised about. That's kind of something I uh, predicted early on in the season. Um look at the Western Conference. A little bit of a different story. Uh, Suns are 62-16. and 16. They're dominating. Memphis is 55-23. and 23. And then going down below, the Warriors are 50-29. and 29. Mavericks, Nuggets, Jazz, Timberwolves. They're in a spot uh, where they can possibly make it to the playoffs. They're a game and a half behind the Jazz for sixth seed. Clippers, Pelicans, and Spurs are the top 10. Now, the Clippers, Pelicans, and Spurs all in front of the Lakers by two games. Uh, well, the Clippers are 39 and 40. The Lakers are 31 and 47. Now, uh, if you would have predicted that this Lakers team with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, <laughs> those names say it enough. Like, you should be. Not only a team that is above 500, but a team that should be making the playoffs. So, would you say that this is the saddest Lakers team of all time? In terms of the expectations given to them? I'd say so. I mean, there's been some trouble throughout the year in terms of consistency with LeBron being injured sometimes. Guys not being around. But that goes to show when you have a well-rounded team, especially like the Suns. The Suns is a shining example, all pun intended. Shining example, the Suns are. 
of a team that is well-rounded, not full of guys that are just superstar players, but players that cohesively play so well together to a point where, yes, their record does represent who they are. The Suns do bode a team that has 62 wins. And honestly, I hope they make it all the way. I am rooting for the Suns in this playoffs. If not the Bulls, it is the Suns. I want to see Chris Paul get a ring. If any player deserves it, it is that guy. I really do hope Chris Paul uh, makes it to the point where, yes, he does get a ring. And I I can't really imagine any team beating the Suns in a four-game series. But that's what I said about the Cavaliers in 2016. So uh, we'll we'll just have to see about that. Uh, But that's the playoff picture in the NBA. Um, Right now with the Chicago Bulls, let's talk about them in depth. Now, Lonzo Ball needs to come back. I feel like if he comes back before the playoffs, which seems like today in media day, he was pretty um, energetic. Seems like he was walking around fine. Everything kind of looked good. If the Bulls come into this playoffs with a full-strength team, which seems like it is possible, you never know. And like I said time and time again, the playoffs are a new ball game. Everybody's record is at that point irrelevant. And of course, home court advantage makes a difference. But that's it. It's a new season. So this Bulls team kind of finds a groove in the playoffs. Who knows where it will take them. And I'm rooting for it. I want the Bulls to win, of course. But I wouldn't be mad if they don't. And this is the type of season where they should build up some of that playoff experience, kind of learn how to win, learn how to lose in the playoffs too. Learn how to lose the right way so that you can learn off of it. Um, I think the guys who need that the most, especially Zach Levine, he doesn't have as much playoff experience. Um, I think DeMar DeRozan is one of those leaders that you kind of see in terms of pushing guys to their limits. Vukovic is going to be a guy that I keep my eye on because he could be trade bait this offseason. So a lot of different things that um, come to my mind when we talk about uh, the Bulls' potential. And uh, I'm very interested to see how the playoffs go for them. And honestly, the expectation that I'm setting at this point based on the past month the Bulls have had this is their worst month of the season, is that I'm not looking at them to make it far in the playoffs. I'm looking at them to make it, make noise in the playoffs. Make make themselves apparent. Because the past two times the Bulls are in the playoffs, they didn't do anything. Let them win a little bit. Maybe make it a, a, past a round or two. And if they don't even make it past the first round, at least learn from it. At least gain some experience off of it. Because... I just don't see at this point this Bulls team being that championship caliber team. And that's going to at least wait until next year or even the year after that. And that's okay. That's why you sign these guys to three or four year contracts. Because you know the potential. And you know it might take some time to develop a championship winning team. And you might have to learn that the hard way as a Bulls fan this off, uh, this postseason. And that's okay. Uh, so my expectation is this Bulls team is not going to win it. I, if they win the Easter Conference, how sweet that's going to be. Because um, that'll be quite impressive. And honestly, they can. They're really, as I mean, other than the past month, of course, the Bulls haven't really shown any reasons why they can't win. I mean, they, 
I mean, Billy Donovan did say the other day after they lost to the Heat, they're like, yeah, they're miles ahead of us in terms of skill level. And I agree with that. But you got to see that as an opportunity to make better for yourself so that you can catch up to that skill level. Because they're thinking right now, oh, wow, we're better than every other team in the conference. We're not looking to improve. There's always room to improve. Now, the Bulls have that chance to improve. And they could do that within the playoffs. Who knows? So, um, and maybe the competition level or the, maybe they'll take it to a whole different level. Maybe since the Bulls have kind of known their goal all along was to make the playoffs, not the play-in tournament. And since they've known that they've been able to do that the past month, their playing level hasn't been as high. But of course, this is professional basketball. You don't do that. So keep that in mind and saying, hey, whether or not this Bulls team is capable, whether or not they're, um, you know, they're going to be having a very first, first, hard first round, and that's okay. I hope the Bulls can um, end the season at least fifth seed so that they can play a fourth seed team uh, to start it off, and then they'll have to play the first seed team in the second round if if it comes to that. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, so that's Bulls NBA basketball talk for you. Um Good to have a Bulls second back after a whole month of distraught. But, uh, hey, we'll take it. Alrighty, so coming up next, um, kind of like um, three-headed dragon sort of segment. I'll talk, uh, I want to talk about the World Cup uh, draw. I want to talk about UFC uh, pay-per-view event this upcoming weekend. And whatever comes to mind in the segment, who knows? Maybe I'll talk whatever, I don't know. But look forward to it. We're not done yet. This is the 229th edition of Money Man Sports Talk. We will be back in just a bit. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the madness here on April 4th. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. Bringing us in to the final segment of the day is Dualities, a place for us. Featuring Yunux. So let's do it. I want to start this segment off uh, talking about my favorite sporting event from this past week. And it wasn't really a sport. A sports game wasn't really played. But um, anticipation has risen for one of my favorite events through a four-year window. No, it's not the Olympics, not summer or winter. We are talking about the FIFA World Cup. And uh, if there was one thing that got me into soccer in the first place, it was the World Cup, especially in 2010. Uh, the South Africa one, that was awesome. And then 2014 just, just kept getting better. 2018 was an amazing tournament. And then now it's 2022. So... My fourth significant World Cup that I am paying attention to could very well be the best. And the draw that happened at Qatar about, uh, what, three days ago? Um, really, really did set the stage in the right way. And I do believe that now watching the draw makes me... Because like I, I had my doubts about the draw in the first place. Joey, shut up! I'm making my podcast! Gosh, this dog sometimes. Anyways, uh, 
Where was I? Yeah, the the Qatar draw. Uh, so Qatar will be the first Middle East country to host a World Cup, and uh, they that means that the country of Qatar automatically qualifies for the World Cup, but they're amongst like the lowest ranked teams in the entire world. So uh, um, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they fare in their group. Everybody wanted to be in Group A just because of that reason. Um, so let's see what happened in the draw. What is the tables going to look like? And as I was saying before Joey interrupted our podcast here, uh, was that watching the draw made me feel like this was actually a fair draw. Like, you know, certain Team, like there can't be more than in in more than five groups there can't be more than two European teams and there can't be more than one team from the same region aka the same qualifying group um in which they played for the World Cup the only way they can match up is if it's in the playoffs um so here is the World Cup fixtures and tables um it all starts in November Monday November 21st um, first group, Group A. We'll talk about them. Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands. Now, I don't know what any of these teams' lineups are going to look like in eight months, so I'm not going to really make a prediction for any of these groups. I'm just naming them out, and I'm going to tell you what I think the most notable groups are. Um, you got group, group B. England, Iran, United States, and then the European playoffs between either Wales, Ukraine, or Scotland. Now, Ukraine and Scotland will be facing off in June, and the winner of that one will be facing Wales, and the winner of that one will qualify to the World Cup. So be thankful that the United States are in that group, safe and sound, waiting for that result to happen. So in my eyes, um, you know, those teams have a lot to worry about going into the World Cup, and whoever wins might have a disadvantage regardless. So uh, think about it that way. The United States, looking at that group, they have a chance. They can beat Iran, and honestly... They can really play well against England. If they can tie the 2014 World Cup champions in Germany, they can tie with England. And guess when that game is? It is Black Friday, November 25th. And it's going to be a Friday morning game. And it's subjected to be the most watched United States soccer game of all time. Now, I don't believe that. Um, cause I'm sure there's been a lot of other great games to watch, especially in 2010 and 2014. Um, especially due to the time constraints. I hope that this game is around like 8am. So we have time to wake up, relax and watch the game. Cause a lot of these games are going to be in the morning. Um, but we'll see. I think, hold on. Let's see. I think we got times here for this. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's at 1pm on Friday. Let's go. All right, Friday, November 25th, England versus the United States is at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. So we don't have to wake up early. Let's go. Um, I think the earliest games will be at like 7 Central Standard Time um, is what I'm seeing. So great news for the United States viewers. We do not have to wake up super early. It'll be like an 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock game local time in Qatar. So uh, really, really, really relieved to see that I don't have to wake up so early. Uh, let's look at the Group C fixtures. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Poland. Um, I think that when you, when you talk about individual talents in that table, you're talking about Messi, you're talking about 
um, other guys in that Lewandowski. You're going to see Lewandowski versus Messi and Poland versus Argentina. So uh, really, really good stuff there. World Cup Group Group D, France. Playoff winner between Australia, United Arab Emirates, and Peru, Denmark, and Tunisia. Looking at Group D, uh, sorry, Group E, Spain. Um, playoff between New Zealand and Costa Rica. Germany and Japan, Group E, uh, Group F. We got Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Looking at Group G, we got Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Group H, we got Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, South Korea. And that is it, my friends. That is it. I think the strongest groups are the... Um, the first one that comes to my mind is the Group C matchups because of all that individual talent that's there. Um, I would say Group B is kind of hard, but anybody can win that. I think that's the one group anybody can win. And that's the those are the best groups. So I think Iran, United States, England, and then the European playoff winner will make this a very interesting group. I think Wales will come out of that, but uh, we'll see. Um, another hard group I think is going to be Group E. That might be the hardest group of the bunch. You're going to see either Costa Rica or New Zealand. Best case scenario for the rest of the group will be New Zealand because Costa Rica is not bad at all. Uh, Germany, excuse me, Germany, Spain, and Japan. Do not underestimate Japan at all. Um, I also think that Group F is a little underappreciated. You got Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Um, so I think those are the best groups. I mean, all these groups are just, I think, overall, collectively, just really, really, really well-matched. And I, I just think this World Cup is going to be great. It's going to be a great World Cup. You see the final World Cup probably for Messi and Ronaldo. And um, kind of see how that draws out. I hope Portugal and Argentina makes it past their group so that we can see more of that, right? And maybe a Messi versus Ronaldo matchup in one of those two final game in the World Cup ever. So uh, that'll be quite the... Uh, storyline there if it happens so uh talk about that let's talk some chicago fire uh the other nights chicago fire fc played fc dallas and tied 0-0 probably one of the more um uneventful games i've been to uh but i'm really looking forward to the la galaxy game in a couple weeks where chicharito will be coming into chicago uh, I highly recommend that game to anybody who's interested. It is April 16th at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, it's going to be a good one. And uh, Chicago right now, I think they're amongst two other teams in the league, including Philadelphia and LAFC as the only teams in the league that are undefeated. Fire have two wins and three draws. But, um, you know, a big theme from this past game was, you know, the, the Fire are playing a 0-0 game. Usually in the past, in the past three years, uh, if the Fire are playing in a close game like that, they'll tend to lose the lead or they'll tend to lose a point in the standings. Not this year, though. I think Coach Ezra and the rest of the team and Shakiri, um, you got really, really experienced guys up there with Navarro and um, some really solid defenders and Pineda and Bornstein, who comes off the bench, and a really strong young goalkeeper in Gabriel Solnina. So it's a team to be reckoned with this season. I think that they have a sincere chance to make the playoffs, in which I do. And this this Chicago Fire team kind of reminds me of the Chicago Bulls team. Like, out of the blue, they're good, but are they 
capable of making it far into the playoffs. Uh, but one of the best starts to a season in Chicago Fire recent history. Um, but there's still a lot of work to go. You still got just about 30 games left in the season. So uh, kind of wait and see how that plays out. But uh, really happy to be um, going to all these Fires games and um, working with such an amazing organization um, who does very well for the local community. And I'm not just saying that because I work for them. I'm saying that because I truly believe that when we look at teams and any other professional sporting event that, um, you know, does well for their community, it goes beyond the sport. You know, you got kids who look up to all these professional players and once they can get involved with their favorite club and their favorite sport, um, it really turns people's lives around. And I think that Chicago does a really good job on their sports when it comes to that. And I really appreciate um, being a part of a community that really, really looks up to younger generations and um, what they will end up doing for the world of sports and for soccer and for whatever else that you do. Um, and it's important to recognize that because a lot of people will focus on what's going on on the fields for any sport rather than what's going on um, beyond the field and what athletes and representatives of an organization does for the community is important. Why do you think sports exists, really? At the same time, you kind of think to yourself, like, sports exists for the greater good of our society. And, it, you know, it brings people together. Sometimes it breaks people apart. But that's sports. I'd rather see people come together than be broken apart over a sporting game, right? People come together rather than be broken apart, and that's the beauty of sport, and um, uh, it changes lives, and that's what I love. Uh, So beyond that, we're going to go to the mixed martial arts world where it's kind of like the other on the other spectrum, you know. It's great for the community, and MMA is a great community – is is a great community entity. I was trying to find the right word there. Um, there, I just love. I love the UFC. I love MMA, and I haven't talked about it in a bit. So let's talk about what's happening this upcoming Saturday. Um, you know, we got a really good fight event. We do, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the main card, which we'll see featherweight main event Alexander Volkanovsky against um, Jung Zung. The Korean zombie, uh, however you pronounce his last name, they literally put him up on Google as the Korean zombie. It is Jung Sung, Jung Chan Sung. Um, probably why they named him the Korean zombie for the benefit of American English speakers, um, just to you know have an easy way to talk about this fighter. But uh, Korean zombie versus Alexander Volkanovsky. I still can't get over this. I haven't realized it up until now, but they literally, if you look up UFC on Google, it'll show you the Korean zombie. I have never seen any fighter's nickname be put up. Maybe it'll be put up in the um, tail of the tape. I don't know. I think that's hilarious. All right, Bantamweight co-main scrap between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Uh, rematch from their past, um, past fight. When did that fight take place? Let's see here. Um, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling fought on March 6th, 2021, just over a year ago. And um, Peter Yan was winning that fight by a landslide. Uh, But uh, in the fourth round, Peter Yan um, threw a knee to the grounded Aljamain Sterling. One of the worst things you could do in all of mixed martial arts is to hit a grounded opponent in the face. You can hit him in the body. 
but you cannot hit him in the face. Um, and that that's what disqualified Peter Yan. To me, Peter Yan is the champion coming into this fight. He's the better fighter. But Aljamain Sterling uh, wants to win naturally. He felt like he didn't win naturally. But uh, he is the current champion. You can't forget that. He might get that edge if it comes to a decision, if it's a close fight. Um, so co-main event, Bantamweight between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. Uh, my personal main event, though, of the night and what I'm looking forward to most in this card is the fight between Gilbert Burns and Kamzat Shmaev. Now, I saw a post today. If you're familiar with MMA, the world, um, you're going to laugh at this. It questioned whether or not Kamzat Shmaev is for real. Well, let me give you a stat here. Through his first four fights, Kamzat Shmaev has taken two Barely even two. Significant strikes. I'm talking not just about the head, talking about the body and the legs and the lower body. He has not taken more than two significant fights or more than two significant strikes in his first four fights combined. If that doesn't tell you anything, I don't know what does about this man. He looks so versatile, so elusive. Honestly, he's making me believe that he is better than the current welterweights champion and future Hall of Famer, Kamara Usman. I think if anybody has Kamara Usman's number right now in terms of targeting, it's got to be Kamzat Shemaev. If Shemaev wins this fight against Gilbert Burns by fin- whatever he does by finish, I don't care if he submits him or whatever, because Gilbert Burns is a really good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist. So Burns's grappling defense might make a difference in this fight but Kamzat Shemaev I'm looking forward to it just because of him I want to see what he can do against a very highly ranked opponent to the likings of Gilbert Burns and this is going to be a great fight it's going to be a great night of fights and especially the last three fights of the card looking down more in the card there's been some canceled fights which is unfortunate because it could have been a really stacked card women's straw weight still going on Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres um Looking to see if Mackenzie Dern can continue her reign, maybe make a a, um, a push for that strawweight title challenge. Middleweight uh, fight that got canceled was Calvin Gaslam and Nasor Dean Imamov. Um, middleweight matchup that got canceled was Calvin Gaslam and Drykus Duplessis. Um, so I don't know who else they're going to have to fit it in the main card because there's only four fights in this main card. And I can't imagine the UFC charging everybody $65 just for four fights. Because um, the prelim card looks great. You got a heavyweight matchup between Jorzina Rosenstrike and Marcin Sabura. Whoever loses that fight, they're probably done. Um, and then they got a nice women bantamweight fight between Aspen Ladd and Raquel Pennington. I'm looking forward to that fight. Another fight I'm looking forward to that night is Mickey Gall and Mike Malote. Uh, early prelims, you still got some good bangers. Alexei Olenek will be fighting Jared Vandera. Mark Madsen will be fighting Vince Pichel, maybe the best mustache in all of mixed martial arts. Um, I'm rooting for mustache guy there. Uh, you got uh, you got a nice bantamweight fight between Julio Arce and Daniel Santos. Uh, so some great nights of fights upcoming for the UFC. The next weekend, we got a main event between Vicente Luque and Bilal Muhammad. Very good main event there. Bilal Muhammad seems to be 
the favorite in that one. And then we'll go on beyond that. But for now, that is that for UFC in terms of the event. Is there anything else I should talk about while I'm at it? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's been a great show. Started off with March Madness post game of the UNC Kansas game. And then we got into some baseball opening day starting on Thursday. After that, we got into some nice NBA discussion talking Chicago Bulls, the playoff uh, picture for the NBA. And then uh, this segment, we got down and dirty with some FIFA World Cup, Chicago Fire Soccer, and uh, of course, just ended it with some MMA. Um, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Uh, I, I Like I said last week, I didn't know if I was going to do a show this week because of March Madness, but I thought the timing worked out perfectly so that I could do a post game for March Madness. So thank you so much for tuning into that. Um, and, uh, thank you so much for tuning in all around. It's been a great show coming up next week. I should be on 88.3 FM. I'm not sure what that schedule is going to look like, but uh, in terms of next show, it'll come. And we're what? Two shows away from 100 episodes on Spotify. Uh, so we'll have to do some sort of celebration. Maybe we'll order a cake or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. I don't know, maybe like a pizza, like eat, maybe I should eat like a massive Chicago style deep dish pizza on podcast in under 10 minutes for my 100th episode on Spotify. Um, I don't know, we'll do something special. I don't, I don't know. Um, but as of right now, thank you so much for tuning into this, the 229th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. It's been an absolute pleasure serving your sports needs today. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.